Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we are ending up our series on miracles, unexpected miracles today. And we're going to be talking about a story uh, about Rahab. And some of you who know the story, you're immediately saying, wait a minute, I don't remember any kind of miracle established with Rahab. Well, you know, the reality is there are different kinds of miracles. There are the physical miracles that you and I have been studying about, you know, the parting of Red Sea, that was a physical thing, the axe head that floated. Um, When somebody's healed from a sickness, a raised from the dead, that's a physical thing. Uh, There there are also emotional miracles. Um, I think when uh, sometimes Jesus dealt with demon-possessed people, and he pulled that demon out of that person, and uh, that, that that is like an emotional miracle that happens. When, I, when we see a marriage that's saved, restored, that probably for no other reason shouldn't have made it, uh, to me, that's like an emotional uh, a miracle that happens that two people who have even legitimate reasons to walk away from each other, even biblical reasons, choose not to, and, and God restores that marriage. To me, that's, that's a miracle. But then there's, there's also spiritual miracles. And, and a spiritual miracle is, happens every time a life is changed. When a life goes from certain death, spending eternity separated from God, to spiritual life and spending eternity with God, then to me, that is a spiritual miracle. And, and we're going to see that played out in today's message, in today's story that we're going to talk about. I, I want to start just by kind of going through the story itself. And we go to Joshua chapter 2, and then we'll skip down a couple of chapters and pick up a few verses down there. But um, chapter 2 kind of gives us a summary of what's going on. Now, the the Israelites are near the River Jordan. They're about to cross over and, uh, and, and, and are going to begin to take the land. And so in verse 1 of chapter 2, it talks about how Joshua, who's now in charge of the Israelites, uh, he secretly sent out two spies and, uh, to, to go and he instructed them, scout out the land on, either, on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho, because Jericho was a fortified city. There were actually these two walls, uh, uh, one wall inside of the other that surrounded this city, so it was a major fortification. And uh, he said, so you two men, uh, go and check it out. So they set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night, that night. Now, immediately you want to go, uh-huh, they got away from the camp and decided they're going to go see a prostitute. Well, I don't think there was anything impure about what they were doing. Actually, I think it was a pretty shrewd thing that they did because um, <clears throat> Rahab's house was actually attached to the outer wall, and she even had a window that from her house that was through the wall, and you could go out that window and be on the outside of Jericho. So they were thinking, you know, that's a good way of escaping. Plus, 
Nobody's going to pay any attention to people going in and out of Rahab's house. She had visitors day and night. And, and people, business people that were traveling and they would come through Jericho, a lot of them probably visited Rahab's house. And uh, so it was no big deal. It'd be very easy to find her house because it would be out there for people to know where it is and it would be easy to locate that to know where she lives. So I, I think it was pretty shrewd on their part. And, uh, and, but in spite of that precaution, their presence was still found out. And, uh, but in God in his sovereign province, he, I think God in his providence had them to go to uh, Rahab's house, even though they may not have known why. And I think it was for her salvation. And as we'll see later, it was for even a bigger plan. And uh, so she, she to me provides an example of how God will save someone from a pagan society who's at the bottom society-wise in that pagan society, that he will save someone like that and bring them into his household. I mean, what an amazing story at the depth of God's love for people that are far from him. So a person who lives in a pagan society uh, who rejected the God of Israel, they're far, far from God. And then you take the person who's on the bottom of the, uh, of the totem pole there, you know, they're far from God. And, and we're, we're just going to see the amazing sovereignty of God at work. Verse 2, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab and said, bring out the men who have come to your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now, Rahab, she had hidden the two men, uh, and, and, but when the men who represented the king came, here's what she said. She said, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they are, where they are from. <clears throat> they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. So she just told a big fat lie. And uh, actually, uh, the Bible tells us she had taken them up to the roof and she had hidden them. And so the king's men believed her. I mean, she would have no reason to lie to them if spies were in the city. It, it would be, there'd be no reason for her to uh, put her own place, her own dwelling at risk. And so they just assumed she was telling the truth. And so the men left in verse seven, they went and looked along the road and they spent the next several days looking for the two spies. And uh, in verse eight, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. Now, verse nine begins with an amazing statement. I know the Lord has given you this land. Oh my goodness. First thing she says, I know, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land 
is living in terror. For we have heard about the Lord and how he made a path for you through the, through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. So we know where you are from. We know what God did. We know about the parting of the Red Sea. We know about Pharaoh's army being destroyed. We know these other battles that you've had and, and nobody can stand against you. You've completely destroyed the people in the land. Verse 11, she says, no wonder our hearts have melted, melted in fear. No one has the courage to even fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God, oh, listen to this. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What an amazing declaration. They've not witnessed to her. She's, she's testifying to them. I mean, how does she know this? You know, yes, she's heard the rumors and she's heard the stories. I mean, did she call out to this God of the Israelites? The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe, maybe she called out to him and said, God, if you're truly God, save me. If you're truly the Lord, save me. Maybe she called out to God in desperation. We don't know. But she was giving statements of faith to these two spies. Now in verse 12, her faith in this God allowed her to get really bold with these guys. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all their families. So even in her facing certain destruction, She was not only concerned about herself, she was concerned about the salvation of others. Now, she was talking about a a physical salvation, but we're going to find out it's also a spiritual salvation. So it is surprising. I mean, it may seem a little surprising that Rahab would go against her king and the city to protect them, but actually, as she began to talk, you realize hey, she knows this is a done deal. She wasn't betraying her king because it's already done. She's convinced of that. This battle is over and it hadn't even started. So she wasn't really betraying anything. She was just living with the consequences of of what was factual to her. And so here's what the two spies said. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and we will be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So this is a most remarkable conversation. I mean, the declaration of her faith was amazing. I mean, she disclosed that she believed in the Lord and she believed God had already given them the land of Canaan. 
And though the army of Israel had not yet crossed the river, she in effect was said, hey, this conquest is already done. <laughs> I mean, nobody even wants to fight against you. So as she, she seemed to have more faith of an, of an outsider than many on the inside of the camp. I mean, how often did the Israelites prove their lack of faith when they would see God work firsthand? How often would that happen? And uh, I, I mean, this is, you got to remember and say, well, how'd they find out about the Red Sea crossing? You got to remember, that was 40 years ago. I mean, that story stuck around for a long time. That, that, that happened 40 years prior to this, because that was back with Moses. And that crowd's already dead. That generation's already dead. And, and so rumors began. I mean, you, you, see, you would think after 40 years they would forget who these people were. That it would be just some memory from the past. But no, it was still very vivid. Then in verse 15... It says, then since Rahab's house was built in the town, in the town wall, uh, she let them down by a rope through the window. And she told them, escape to the hill country, go and hide, wait there for three days. Then the guards will have come back and then you can make your way back to your camp. And, um, and here's what, before they left, here's what they said. We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. Kind of like God with salvation. He says, I will save you. I will forgive you of your sins. I will bring you into my kingdom, but only if you do it the way I say. He says, when you go into the land, you must, uh, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members and your father and mothers and brothers and all of your relatives must be here inside the house. In fact, I would imagine she packed the house. She may have even brought some friends that she was close to and, and she probably packed that house full of people. He said, but if they go out into the street and are killed, that's not our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside the house, we will accept full responsibility. But if you betray us, we are not bound by this oath in any way. And Rahab said, I accept your terms. And then they went on their way. You know, a lot of parents, when I'm thinking about those family members, when they said, if any of the family members wander outside the house, they're going to die. And that's not on us. I, I know a lot of parents. I know how, how we are as parents. You know, the first time you send your kid off to school, you're praying because, you, you know, I, they're, they're wandering out now into the real world. And uh, I mean, you remember when they get their driver's license and, and you're okay as long as you're in the car with them. And then that very first time they get in the car and drive away by themselves. Oh my goodness, your prayer life went, shoo. You know, you spent the whole night in your prayer closet. And if you didn't have one, you made one real quick. 
and, and you just prayed because they're out there in the real world now and they're wandering out there. And when they go off to college, you pray even more because now they're really out there and they're wandering away and, and who are they going to run into and who's going to sway them, who's going to influence them. And, and you get concerned about that. And, and, and Joshua's two spies says, now if your family members wander out of the house, they're going to they're not going to survive, and it's on them. And a lot, of, a lot of young people, they wander away from their faith, and they don't make it. They, they put so many, oh, you know, I'm not talking about they, they die, but they put so many scars on them, they wonder if they're going to make it. They get so bruised and beat up by the world and they bring it on themselves. They've wandered outside the house of God. And then they're open to all kinds of attacks. So we as parents, we, we know how to pray hard when those times come. Now, she accepted their terms. And here's the deal. Obedience in the little things matter to God. You see, I'm sure Rahab started getting busy real quick. And she started gathering the families and she started telling them, here's what's going to happen. And uh, so you, we just, you need to come to the house and you need to stay here and you need to not leave. Or, or as soon as you see the army coming, you get to my house as quickly as possible but she had to lead down that scarlet rope. Uh, you know, I, can't, I would imagine she went and checked it all the time to make sure nothing happened to that scarlet rope. Such a little thing, but a huge thing. See, that's scarlet rope. Uh, you know, it wasn't of any other color. It was scarlet. Kind of represents the blood to us that um, the only way you can escape the wrath of God is through that scarlet rope of Jesus. And you can do all the other stuff, and you can be faithful at church, and you can, you can be faithful to help others, and you can be faithful in how you use your finances and your influence. But I want to tell you, if you miss the scarlet rope of Jesus, then all of that's of no value. And if that one little rope had fallen down or been forgotten or she just got so busy she didn't think about it, then all the promises would have gone away. There were no promises. Do all the stuff right well, don't forget the most important step. And that's you personally making a decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who've been in church most of their life, and when I talk to them about their personal relationship with Jesus, I hear things like, well, I've been going to church all my life. Or I got baptized or we've always been in part of church. And I'm listening for that word that says, you know, 
about this time, that's when I settled the issue of Jesus in my life. You see, when I have that conversation, I'm always looking for the scarlet rope, knowing that that's the only way that they're going to be saved. Don't miss the little stuff, because the little stuff is actually the massive stuff. So the two spies report back to Joshua, and they said, The Lord has given us the whole land. For the people in the land are terrified of us. Now, if we jump down to chapter 6, we pick up back up the story with Rahab. And, and so Joshua, with all the things that he's doing, and, and when you read chapters 3 and 4 and 5, there's a lot of things that are happening, and he's getting ready for this first major encounter. Uh, they've got to cross the Jordan River. They're going to have to confront these two massive walls around Jericho. And, and actually... An angel of the Lord comes and visits with Joshua and tells him exactly how to do it. That's an amazing story in itself. And yet, Joshua, in all of this, he says to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. And then the, the men who had been the spies, they did exactly what they were told, and they kept their promise. They brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her, and they moved the whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Now, after the total destruction of Jericho, the Bible says, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives, who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And at the time of this writing, it says, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Her entire household was saved. Now, let me share with you the miracles I see in this story. Miracle number one. If you look for God, you will find him. That's a miracle. The God of the universe, the God who created everything that there is, the God who you think probably wouldn't be, he'd be so busy with the universe, he, he doesn't have time to think about you. But this God says that if you look for me, you will find me. Now that's a miracle. The apostle James and, uh, and the apostle uh, Paul both talked about Rahab. So that kind of tells me this is a worthy story to be looking at. Here's what James said. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. You see, her actions proved that she had found God in this, even in this pagan society. I mean, if you really read this, she was shown to be right with God by her actions. That says to me, God made her right with him before those actions. And the actions are just proof 
of her being made right with God. God took a prostitute and made her right with him because she sought him. Now, we don't have a recording of her prayers, but I can imagine she prayed, prayed something like this. God, I'm hearing all these stories about you. And if they're true, and I believe those stories are true, then you must be who you say you are. Save me. Save me. I, I mean, she just was looking for self-preservation, and that's okay. I mean, that's what we want. We want to be saved. And, and I think she called out to him the only way she knew to call out to him. And Jeremiah says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, this is what God says in the book of Jeremiah, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. She looked for God and God showed up. We don't know how he did it. We don't know what she said. But we know that she looked for God. And we know that God revealed himself to her. That's a miracle. Some of you, some people, they do not find God because they're not even looking for him. They're too busy doing the things they want to do. They don't have time to look. Miracle number two. If you want salvation from certain death, you will have it. Now, for Rahab, it was a physical death she wanted salvation from, not knowing that eventually it would be a spiritual death that she would have freedom from. And you and I, when we turn to Jesus, we're saying we want salvation from a spiritual death. And the Bible says if you want that salvation, you will have it. If you want it and you ask for it, you will have it. Again, in Hebrews 11, it says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. I got to stop there for a moment. Did God send a prophet to the Canaanites? Did he send a prophet to Jericho? We don't know, but it sounds like he may have. I mean, I don't think God brings judgment until he brings the truth. I think God sent the truth to them, and they rejected it. So maybe Rahab heard the words of a prophet. It was by faith that she was not destroyed. It's by faith that you're saved from eternal separation from God. For she was given, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. At Romans 10, 13 puts it this way. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I believe that basically what Rahab did, she called on the name of the Lord. And God saved her. Now, she didn't understand the depth of that salvation yet, but God saved her. He saved her physically, and I think he also saved her spiritually. She became a part of the family. 
fact, that's the third miracle that I see. If you want a new life, you will be made part of a new family. And she wanted a new life, and she was made a part of God's family. In Joshua 6 again, it says, So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house. Because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She became one of them. Her and her whole family. When you pray to receive Christ in your life, you become a part of God's family. You're a, you're a child of God. You are not a, you're not an outsider who's just visiting for a while. You become part of the family. You're adopted into the family. And you have all the rights as a legitimate member of the family. In fact, that's why the Bible says you're a co-heir with Jesus. When God adopted you, he put you into his will. <laughs> that he made you a co-heir. Not that God's going to die. That's not going to happen. But God gave you rights, the same rights as any other family member. Even though you're adopted. We're all adopted into God's family through Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.19, So now you Gentiles, which are most of us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. That's a miracle. I love that. Miracle number four. If you want to be used by God, God will use you in a way beyond your wildest dreams. If you truly give your life to God to be used by God, I want to tell you, he'll do things beyond what you can possibly imagine. Here's what Rahab said in Joshua 2. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all of their families. Listen, they not only did that, they could have just said, okay, battle's over, you're free, go do what you want. No, you're going with us. We want you to be with us. She only asked to survive. <clears throat> they said, yeah, you're going to survive, but you're going to become part of us. We want you in the family. That's cool. So when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, God says, yes, I'll forgive you of your sins. But not only that, I am adopting you into my family. You're one of us. You're a co-heir with my son. So you asked for forgiveness of sin, and God went way beyond that. That's what's amazing to me. In fact, in Isaiah, here's what God says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. 
For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen, you can imagine amazing things for your life and God's got things way beyond that. When you tell God, Lord, I want you to use me, I want you to use me for your kingdom, you may have one thing in mind, but he's got something far bigger. And you'll be amazed at what he's willing to do with you. Now there's a bonus miracle that's in the story of Rahab. In fact, I think this was God's sovereign will for her all along. I think this was God's plan from day one. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 5, it says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. And then jump down to verse 5, it says, Solomon, not Solomon, the king, but Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Solomon and Rahab were married and had a son named Boaz. So here is this prostitute from a pagan country who cried out to God to save her, and he had a plan way beyond what she could imagine. Not only did he save her, but he brought her into the safety of his family, the Israelites. And not only did he do that, he put her DNA in his son, Jesus. Think about that. The DNA of a prostitute was put in the lineage of Jesus to show the grace and the power of a holy God. So I think long before Rahab even existed, God already had this plan of every person who was going to be in the lineage of his son. Wow. Talk about a miracle. She just wanted to live. And God says, oh, if you only knew the plans I have for you, because you chose to believe me. And your faith is even greater, Rahab, because you lived in a pagan society where nobody talked about me. Your faith is even greater than some of my own children who ought to know better. So what I'm going to do with you is going to be so cool that people are going to read about you until my son returns a second time. People are going to know about you, Rahab. So have you trusted that scarlet rope? I mean, you may want a lot of things. You may want God to do a lot of stuff, but don't forget the, that one thing, trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, maybe you can't recall the exact time and date. I know some people can't. I cannot. I can't recall that exact moment. Um, but I know the general time. I know when it happened. And... Um, 
And I know that I kind of made sure a couple of more times in case for some reason I, I wasn't in the right heart. You know, I mean, maybe you're like me and you just got to make sure. And uh, if I wasn't saved on this date, I know I got saved on that date. And uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. You know, it's not a matter of faith. It was just a lack of trust in myself. And um, but some of you, I don't know why you want to hold back and don't think, and you, and you think, well, God doesn't need me, or, and he's done. He doesn't need any of us. But God doesn't need to use me, or he doesn't want to use me. Listen, look at what he did with a prostitute. Imagine his plans for you are way beyond your imagination. Are you willing to trust that? Are you willing to just say, here I am. Do what you want with me. Trust him. Trust him. Let's pray.